The following audio is from a sermon series on the Apostles' Creed. For more information about Sacred City Church, please visit sacredcitychurch.com. Hear the word of the Lord from Ephesians 2, 13 through 22. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances, that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are a fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure, being joined together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good morning. Thank you, church, for the gifts. I don't know what's in there, but I'm sure it's a blessing. So thank you so much for that. Well, I'm ringing a little bit. My name is Justin. I am one of the pastors here at Sacred City. It's my joy about eight and a half years ago to start Sacred City Church, and it's been, whoa, that got worse. We found it. Uh, It's been my joy to see what God has done uh, through our church, planting Sacred City Moline, uh, multiplying us, growing us. And as I mentioned uh, last week, our parking spaces um, are very limited, and if you're showing up at 9.30, you're probably... Uh, experiencing that. So we're asking all of our members, all of our volunteers, anybody that can to park um, down at the pool, to park as far away as possible and just hike, all right? Just hike, put a backpack on, just, you know, leave your house at 730 and and just don't even drive, all right? That would make it a lot helpful, a lot more helpful. But the other problem we're having, so the other problem we're having is we've got 100 uh, kids over in the two cottages that we've remodeled next door. And so the immediate solution to that problem is we're going to be starting another class down here, downstairs in the, it's a dance studio down below us. We're going to be starting another classroom down there. And so we need about 15 more volunteers. Um, last time I talked to Emily, she said she got about half of that right after the service last week, which is great, but it's also not what we need. We still need another 50% more. And I asked her how many people had gray hair who volunteered last week. She said, Zero. Hmm. So you didn't heed my, the older folks didn't heed my warning, or my, not my warning, my, my exhortation, my exhortation. Uh, we do need, we, we, we need some more folks to volunteer over there. So please, if you're not volunteering in our kids' ministry, please do that. It is one of the primary ministries, pro- the second largest ministry we have as a church. The, the largest one we have is our missional communities. That's over 400 people are involved in that on a weekly basis. Uh, And then second to that is our kids' ministry, so please volunteer for that. Now, the third thing that I did last week was I had us all open up our phones and go to the website, uh, sacredcitychurch.com, and fill out a little survey, all right? That survey was 
not helpful, okay? Uh, I need you to do it again right now. And here's what I'm changing. Here's why it wasn't helpful. It just, it was helpful. It confirmed what I already knew to be true. 90% of you prefer a 9 a.m. service over 11 a.m. service. So that would not be helpful to start at 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. So here's, what, here's the option that we have this week. What's going to happen if we started an 8.30 service and a 10.30 service? Okay, so please, right now, open up your phone, go to sacredcitychurch.com, click on the survey button right there. This is very helpful for your elders. We're trying to make decisions that are really hard, and we're guessing because we have so many families and there's so many different things to consider. So please, one per family, one per family, go there, fill that out really quick. Six simple questions should take you less than 30 seconds. Um, so 8.30 a.m., that's a little bit earlier. That's an hour earlier than this service. 10.30, though, that would still, you would still get out by lunchtime. You'd still get out for kids' nap time. So please consider that. Fill it out really quick. Pray about it. If you've got little, little kids, 8.30 might be no big deal. If you've got older kids, oh, it's a, you, now, it's good, now you might be thinking of the 10.30 service, right? Because they're starting to sleep in a little bit. So go ahead and fill that out. Uh, I'll give you a little bit of time. We good? All right. Thank you so much, guys. This helps us make wise decisions. I'm going to go ahead and pray. Father, we do thank you for the problems that we have at our church. These are good problems, the problems of parking, the problems of space, the problems of making decisions on how to handle the growth that you've brought to us by your spirit. And uh, it is a good problem, but it's still a problem and it still needs a solution. So we ask that you would lead the elders to make wise decisions here and that you would lead us all to uh, lay our desires and our preferences down for the sake of the gospel and for the sake of the good of our city. I pray now, as we move into a time where we get to study your word, we get to look deeply at something you've called us to be a part of, something that we maybe say a lot, but maybe don't really know what it is. So now I, I just ask that you would help me because I am incapable of the task that is before me this morning without your spirit. I need your spirit to think clearly. I need your spirit to speak clearly. I need you, your spirit to help people hear clearly. Father, would you um, enliven your word? Would you bring the dead to life? Would you believe, bring those who are sitting in darkness into light? Would you bring those who are isolated and lonely into the greatest community on earth? Would you do this for your glory and our good this morning? In Jesus' name, amen. Well, today we come to the part in the creed where you mumble in confusion or consternation. The Holy Catholic Church. <laughs> right? That statement is confusing to our 21st century ears. When we read that, we automatically think the Roman Catholic Church. Right? What is he talking about, the Roman Catholic Church? Well, let me just start off by saying, when they first started 
this creed, started saying this creed, there was no such thing as the Roman Catholic Church, okay? The word Catholic simply means universal. We are talking about the church that isn't based in Rome, okay? We're talking about the church that is all over the globe. We're talking about the, the church that is inclusive and exists everywhere. It's more than us here this morning. It's more than American. It's more than the 21st century. The Catholic Church, and we should say it with pride, we don't need to mumble it anymore, all right? The Catholic Church is the people of God from all over the world through all time. The Christian Church is the most diverse and culturally inclusive religion that has ever existed in the world. Now that statement might sound strange to you since its reputation in our culture is almost the exact opposite. That's what you're, you're hearing in the news cycle that we're not inclusive. But the facts remain, Christianity exists. Right now you can go to nearly every culture, nearly, you could go to every continent and you will find Christians there gathering today. The New Testament has been translated in at least 1,500 languages. Compare that to the Quran, which has only been translated into 114. Why? Because Muslims believe that the language of Arabic is superior to all other languages and that the Quran is only the word of God when you read it in Arabic. Christianity exists in the highest echelons of the academy. Some of those brilliant minds today are Christians. And Christianity exists among uneducated tribes in Africa. Compare that to secular humanism and atheism, a religion and worldview that is espoused almost entirely among the educated elite of society. Or as recent research has revealed, atheism is primarily the wealthy, educated white man's religion. The Christian church doesn't require you to get a PhD or to speak a different language. In fact, joining the Catholic church isn't a matter of cultural preferences at all. You don't need to change the way you dress. There is no Christian way to dress. You don't need to change the way you eat. You don't need to change the style of music you listen to and enjoy. When we say that we believe in the holy Catholic church, we are stating a core tenet of Christianity. The church of Jesus Christ is inclusive, multicultural, transracial, diverse across all socioeconomic lines, all demographics, age, sex, education level, political affiliation, Republican, Democrat, independent, whatever it is. And Christianity also teaches that we are to love our enemies and our neighbors who are often of a different religion than we are. We're to live with them peaceably and be agreeable as often as we can and not put a stumbling block in the path of any who would come to Jesus. Now, this is the bedrock on which our country was founded. A freedom of religion 
where we could absolutely disagree with one another and yet we could still love one another and be in community with one another and care for one another as neighbors. This foundation is eroding in the United States as our culture secularizes and becomes less familiar with historic Christianity. Recent Pew research shows that the gaps between races, classes, and political parties are more divided than any time in the past 20 years, right now. Listen, one of the lies that our culture is telling us is They're telling us every day through news cycles, through television programs, through talk show hosts, through podcasts, is that here's the lie. As we throw off the restraints of Christianity, we will become more free. Our world will be less judgmental, will be more open, welcoming, inclusive. And yes, yet that is not what the data shows. We are becoming more and more polarized. People are existing in their own private digital silos, surrounding themselves more and more by, with people who think like them, dress like them, believe like them, worship like them. And the strange thing, it's, it's almost all online. Our relationships and face-to-face relationships are breaking down right now in our society, but there's these weird enclaves in our digital worlds that we are, where we all can find our people. No matter what you're into, you can find your people. You want a spice club? You can find it online, right? You want it, whatever it is, certain type of books, find, you want to start dressing like a vampire? Find it online. And the internet we know this, we should know this, is a volatile place, right? Don't you dare, do you, do, do some of you, are some of you still crazy enough to read comments on YouTube videos or com- get into a comment section on a blog? Don't do it. It rots your soul immediately, <laughs> right? There's savage, savages down there. Savages live in the comments of those places, <laughs> right? You might be hearing, now listen, You might be hearing your old college professor's voice ringing in the back of your head here. Well, 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 hold on. Christianity is responsible for some terrible things in the world. The church has done some horrible things in its history. Obviously, in our own culture, in our own country, they condoned the slave trade and racism. That is partially true. Some Christians and some churches supported slavery, and that is awful. But the question is, was slavery an aspect of their culture that they just brought into the church or was slavery an, a, an, a, uh, an aspect of Christianity, an aspect from the Bible? And the answer to that is clearly the former. Slavery had long been practiced in near, nearly every culture of the world. And in fact, when you study this, you can find, you see, it was the teaching of Christianity and Christians who put an end to the slave trade in America. It took the American church far too long to realize that for sure. But the demise of slavery and racism was actually inherent in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ and would never have been accomplished from an evolutionary worldview. Now, here's where we're going this morning. It seems that our world is getting more and more polarized and divided. 
But it's in this increasing polarization that the church of Jesus Christ should be standing out as a radically diverse community that literally has the answers to the questions that our country is asking. It's all in that statement. I believe in the holy Catholic church. And it's in today's scriptures where we see the apostle Paul paint this brilliant and beautiful picture of the church that the whole world wants to be a part of but cannot produce on its own. And some have, some have described secularism as this. The world wants the kingdom of God without the king. The world wants what the church only can possess because of Jesus, without Jesus, without his rules, without his reign. That's what the world is trying to produce. That's what our government is trying to produce. The kingdom of God with no king. It's not going to happen. But the church is a people by our nature, by what Christ has done, who are deeply diverse and yet deeply united. And the church is the one place on earth where there can be and there must be a deep unity in our diversity. So something, all of our diversity is swirling around, but there's something that's got to hold us secure, something that can bring us together and hold us united. Paul's going to show us exactly what that is in Ephesians chapter 2. So you can open up your Bibles with me. And before he shows us how to get it and how to do it, first he's going to show us what is wrong with the world. What's going on here? Why, why can't we experience this kind of unity and diversity? Why are we so divided? Then he's going to give us the answer. Okay, so let's look at verse 14. So chapter 2. Actually, I'm going to go and start in 13. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. So right now, I'm going to catch us up to speed here. The Apostle Paul is speaking now to Gentile believers. Now, in this, when the time this was written, there was basically two types of people, okay? There were the Jewish people that had the promises of God, the promises from the Old Testament. They had cultural superiority. They had religious superiority. They had this minority status that was kind of protected for them in society. And then there were the Gentiles. And the Gentiles were the pagans. They worshiped God in all kinds of strange ways. The Greeks, you know, we know about the, all the Greek gods and goddesses. And in the, te- the Jewish temple itself, it was set up so that the Jewish people could make their way into inner parts of the temple, but the Gentiles, there was a literal dividing wall of hostility between them. There was literally a dividing wall that that an outsider could not get into anymore. And the Apostle Paul now is speaking to people who've been living in this type of society. And he's speaking to Gentiles who've been blocked off from ever getting into the inner courts to worship God in the temple. And he says, hold on, something's happened. You who were far off have been brought near in Christ. Now, in our day and age, we don't have too many, like, literal walls of hostility that separate people, but we have many figurative walls of hostility. There are walls that separate black and white. 
There are walls that separate management from labor. There are walls that separate white-collar work and blue-collar work. There are walls that separate the rich from the the poor. There are giant walls that separate Republican from Democrat. And it seems like many times these walls are mostly invisible to us until we become friends with someone on Facebook. (laughs) Then we start seeing their posts, their reposts their social commentary. And we start thinking, I thought I knew this person. I thought they were a Christian. How could they be a Christian and be a Democrat? How could they be a Christian and be a Republican? Just like in the day of Paul in Ephesus, we have a problem. We are a deeply divided country and we've got clear lines of separation. But then Paul goes on to share with us the solution. Look at verse 14. For he himself, Jesus, is our peace. Look, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. Now here's what, this is interesting. Excuse me. The Apostle Paul says, all of these things that divide us, they're real. They do divide us. There is dividing walls out there. But something that Christ has done on the cross has actually united us together in one new people. Now, when you're studying this, you realize Paul uses this word hostility three different times, I think, in this passage. The reasons we are so deeply divided with people who are different from us is because, this is the, this is the word the apostle Paul tells us, is that we're hostile. Now, I don't use that word very often. I doubt you do. I doubt you ever have checked that box off anywhere. Are you a hostile person? I don't think so. But I think we might be surprised to discover that most of us, maybe all of us, are hostile people. We're all hostile to a certain type of people. Now, let me build this out for you a little bit. Growing up, I'm sure that you learned quickly what it, t- what it took to get on the inside of some inner ring of people. You wanted to be awarded at the end of the school and pranced up on a stage to be commended in front of your peers as summa cum laude, and all you have to do is get straight A's. That's it. What's the lesson? Work hard, sacrifice, and you can be on the inside. But what often happens is once you get on the inside of some inner ring of people, you start becoming hostile to people outside of it. And people outside of that inner ring start becoming hostile to you. You are smart. Others, not so much. You are hardworking. Others are less so. And your hostility usually comes out in a form of legalism that is oftentimes invisible to yourself. There's this invisible wall of separation that comes when you have thoughts like this. Here it is. If you would just work hard like me, you could get on the inside like I did. See the wall? 
If a person works hard, they kind of take ownership of it and get proud. And if they can't work hard enough or they don't have the mental acumen to actually accomplish those straight A's, they feel like a failure. This creates hostility between these two groups. They start saying, well, if I had a home life like they had a home life, then I could probably get straight A's too. You can always just blame it on your genetics. My dad was a moron. I can't help it. (laughs) Now, listen, this is true of every inner ring in our society. Athletics, working hard to get in the inner ring. All you got to do is sell your soul. That's all you got to do. Just sell your soul. Your kid will be a professional baseball player, basketball player. Just sell your soul for it. Sell your soul, write big checks, get him on every traveling link he can. Right? What's the desire? What's the desire? It's not to have fun. The desire is to get into an inner ring, an inner class, a special class of people. Beauty. Popularity. Power. Wealth. These are all inner rings. Even most religions are an inner ring. Work hard, pay the price, get inside, and then once inside, the incipient nature of our pride goes to work and starts creating hostility between those of us on the inside and those of us on the outside. And even those on the outside, their envy creates this this incipient nature of pride and starts envying those above them or in the inner ring, and it starts creating a dividing wall of hostility between them. So if you want to diagnose just what invisible dividing walls of hostility are separating you from other people, this is what you have to ask yourself. What type of person are you hostile to? The weak? The lazy? The abrasive? I can tell. You put your wall up right now. The old? The young? Religious people? Democrat? Republican? Immature people? Gay people? Successful people? the down and out, black, white, brown, who gets on your nerves? Who are you hostile to? When the story comes on that confirms your bias towards them on your news or on your news feed, who are you quick to retweet? Who are you quick to like? Who are you quick to to share to confirm what you already believe to be true about that type of person and what they need? See, we can never hold hands, be in community with someone that we're hostile to. We can never be united with someone that, we're, that we think is beneath us. 
The dividing wall is there and it's real, even though it might be invisible and we can't even name what it is, it's there. You won't be in, in, a, in a real relationship with them. Now, you might be sitting over here and they're sitting over there, but that's not a relationship. You won't listen to them, hear their point of view, take it in, maybe adjust your own beliefs, adjust your own understanding of things because they have a perspective that you've never had before. Your hostility even if it's flying under your own radar and you don't even know it, will divide. Now, why is that? Well, do you know what hostility is? Hostility is undercover self-righteousness. Because of your upbringing, your culture, your education, your choices in life, you look at another person and you say this, I would never do that. I would never treat people that way. I would never dress like that. I would never talk like that. I would never think like that, vote like that, or whatever like that. You just can't even get your mind around how a person could do that. I would never. And be assured, when you are thinking like that, you are proud. That's self-righteousness. No one can look down on someone else without elevating themselves to a place that only Jesus resides. Only Jesus is without sin. Every single one of us have fallen short of the glory of God. Every single one of us has sinned. So how could we elevate ourselves on some pedestal and look down on someone else and go, what are they thinking? How could they possibly do that? The only one who has the right to do that, the only sinless one is Jesus. And Jesus doesn't stay up there and look down. Jesus came down from heaven and walked the earth. And he went even farther than that. He didn't look down on us. He died for us. Jesus Christ took all of our hostility and all of our self-righteousness to the cross. He became our hostility and he killed it in Jesus on the cross. Look at verse 16. So he's creating one new man in the place of the two, so making peace, verse 16, and might reconcile us both to God. Now here's here's what he's saying. The Jew and the Gentile both needed reconciliation to God. The Jewish way of doing things wasn't working. The Gentile way of things wasn't working. They're both sinners. They both need reconciled. Only Jesus is the judge. Only God can judge. Here's the reality. Republican, Democrat, black, white, rich, poor, no matter what it is, we both need reconciled. And if you think you're right, you don't think you need reconciliation. You need the other person to repent and change their mind. That's not what scripture teaches us. Both need reconciliation. Look at this. How does he do it? In one body, through the cross, 
thereby killing the hostility. So somehow on the cross, in the body of Christ, Christ killed hostility that separates us. What is he, what is he saying there? Listen, while we were completely hostile to God, God sent his son, Jesus. Jesus then, without any hostility of his own, took our hostility all the way to the cross and allowed sinners like us to kill him in hostility. See, in the death of Jesus, our pride, our self-righteousness, and our hostility has been crucified. That is what grace is. Grace isn't a second chance to try again. And three days after Jesus kills the hostility on the cross, he steps out of that tomb showing that he is victorious over all the hostility that separated us. He conquered that Jesus accomplished what none of us could. He has taken people separate, far away from each other, divided, and he has reunited us, hostile sinners, to God and to each other in this thing called the church. And that word church, it's ecclesia in the Greek, and it means a gathering of people. It doesn't mean a building. It means a gathering of people. See, the church is meant to be the most diverse people group on the planet because all of the hostility that separates us has been absorbed by Jesus on the cross. All of the things that bug me because I am a white, middle-class American are tertiary to the unity that has been achieved on the cross. Jesus gives us this new identity through grace. One that we didn't earn and therefore we cannot, we didn't get inside this church on our own. We didn't earn our way into an inner ring. We were adopted and we were brought in by grace that Jesus went out and got us and brought us in. So there's no pedestal for us to look down on people who are outside of our walls because we didn't earn our way in. When that happens, when you realize what Jesus has done in his church, the new identity he gives me makes every other identity secondary at best. It means the cross becomes more foundational to our identity than any other circle we've worked our way into in our lifetime. Middle class is less important. Race is less important. Success level is less important. Education level is less important. Political affiliation is less important. But what's so fascinating here is that Jesus, he, didn't just de- he just didn't destroy the wall and then walk out and go, okay, I hope they can figure that out. He actually, and I'm going to show you this in Scripture, through the power of the gospel, reverses the polarity of our hostility. And the people who used to be repelled by their differences are now being pulled together by the gospel to be in relationship with each other in deeper and more meaningful ways. Look at this from our text this morning. 
17. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him, Jesus, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens. Okay, that's what we were before to God and to each other, strangers and aliens. Now, when you see that person you thought you knew on, post, on Facebook post something that you couldn't believe he posted, don't they feel like a stranger to you? Don't they feel like an alien to you? What? Right? Separated by hostility. That's the illustration. So people who were once strangers, once aliens to one another, look what he's doing. But you are fellow citizens with the saints, okay? First metaphor right here. Citizens, what is this? Paul also talks about, I think it's in Philippians, that we are citizens of what? The new kingdom, the kingdom of God that's coming. We're citizens of the new Jerusalem, that in the new heavens and the new earth, we're, going to be still, we're still going to be super diverse as it comes to racial background and all of our different cultural preferences, but we're going to be completely united. So here's the first illustration Paul uses of the church. You're citizens and a new kingdom or a new city. Okay, I can handle citizens. Because cities have neighborhoods. I, I just get to my neighborhood, get with people I like. That's, that's not too big of a deal. But what I want you to watch, what, what I want you to see in this text here is he's going to use three metaphors for the church and each one increases in intensity and increases in proximity to one another. Look at the next one. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you're fellow citizens with the saints. All right, we're all citizens. We're all saints once you accept Christ. And here's the second one. And members of the household of God. That word household, you're the head of house. You know what that means. Household literally means family. It's a little bit of an extended metaphor. It includes aunts, uncles. So it's a bigger family. So he, he went, okay, you're citizens in the new kingdom and your family members in an extended family. Okay, you see how that increases the intensity and proximity? Family members have responsibilities for one another. Family members live in relationship with one another, right? Look at the next one. And members of the household of God built on the foundation. Now he's starting to use construction metaphors and architectural metaphors. Built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, uh-oh, more architectural language, in whom the whole structure, more architecture, being joined together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord. What's he saying? All right, citizens, they have a kind of proximity to one another, a little bit of unity. They're the part of the same kingdom, part of the same nation. Families, have a little bit more proximity to one another. Now they get the same mother, the same father, the same aunts and uncles, et cetera, et cetera. They've got a little bit more unity. And now he's saying, but actually, you're actually a temple of the Lord. Jesus is the, the, the apostles, the, the apostles and, the, and the prophets were the foundation. Jesus is the cornerstone. You're like a brick in the temple and you're cemented together with one another as the body of Christ. Think of how close two bricks in the temple are put together. You ain't getting away from this guy next to you or lady next to you. Why? 
grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In the Old Testament, when they built the temple, on the day that it was dedicated, the Spirit of God in, literally came in and inhabited among them. And God like dwelled there. And when that curtain that separated the Holy of Holies was torn in two when Jesus Christ was crucified, it opened the world up to the, experience the presence of the living God. And now, through the power of the Holy Spirit, when we put our faith in Jesus Christ, God literally dwells in us. Now listen, there's a way you can read the scripture that's not accurate. All the yous in this text are plural. It's not talking about us individually. Does the spirit dwell in us individually? Yes, but he does something special when we come together and we live in unity and we're cemented to one another in close contact, all of our diversity coming together at the cross. We're that close to one another and the spirit dwells there in a special way among us as a community of people. Look what he says in the next verse. In him, Jesus, you also are being built, look, together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Now, that is what we want to be, Sacred City. We want to be a place where God dwells, where you can literally feel him, you can sense him. That you don't understand, that person goes to this church, that person goes to this church, what? Why? Because our differences that divide, they're secondary to the gospel that unites us. And there's something special about this diversity coming together and being diverse and yet united in Christ. I, I, I long for the friends that I could go, your political views are crazy, but I love you, brother. <laughs> we need that. Yeah. What we see here in Ephesians, is that when a person believes the gospel, when they have really understood all that Christ has done for us on the cross, they are ushered into this new community of people called the church. And this church is a radically diverse group of people that live together in unity, a real unity. The church is the one place where sworn enemies become family and live together in unity under the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Now, is this how your relationship with the church looks? Let's look at those three metaphors he uses. Citizens, family, cemented together in the temple. How close is your relationship to the church of Jesus Christ? Do you just show up because worship feels good and sometimes the sermon is decent. That's a consumeristic way. You're treating the church like Walmart. Listen, I despise Walmart. The only reason I go there is because they have cheap stuff. And I need it sometimes. Is that how you treat the church? I just, oh, it just encroaches on me and I just don't want any commitment. I don't want any real relationships. I just need to feel better sometimes. Is that how you treat your missional community family? Just show up when you need something. Show up when it's convenient to you. Show up when it fits into your schedule. 
It's not going to fit in your schedule. Your schedule needs to fit into it. You need to orient your life around the church because it's the only eternal community on the planet. Turn the, turn the page one more. We're going to go to Ephesians 4, and I'm closing right now. Verses 4 through 6. Paul goes on. He says this. There is one body, and there is one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. See, we are diverse, I pray, in unimaginable ways. Every way you could think of, I think our church should be diverse. And yet we are united under one Lord, one faith, one baptism. This is something that only Christ can do. You know what's so in? Nah, I don't want to get into it. I can't. Never mind. Listen, this is something that the Lord's Supper is meant to remind us of every single week. I don't use this analogy or metaphor very often. But in the one loaf, there's many different ingredients that go to it, into it. Many different ingredients go into it to bring one loaf. And just, at, just like that, so are we united together, different with divergent point of views, and yet united in one holy Catholic church. And for many of us, this is probably the most diverse meal we have all week. Different races, different classes. We come together right now, united, literally, in Jesus, rich, poor, right now. The church doesn't, or the world doesn't have something like this. Even our culture that's speaking about inclusiveness is an inclusiveness or else. <laughs> Be inclusive or we will exclude you. <laughs> well, thanks for that. Be inclusive or you won't get our money. Be inclusive or you won't get into the program. Be inclusive or we will destroy your business on social media and sue you. That is not real inclusion. That is exclusion. Think like us or else. The gospel destroys the us versus them mentality. Father, I thank you for what you've done. I thank you for what you've done in the church. The church is messy. The church is messed up. We miss it. We fail. We, we don't even hold to what we believe so often. We do things that are opposed to what we say we believe. We are broken. We are in need of repair. Father, we humble ourselves now and ask that you would heal the brokenness. Even in our church and in our missional communities, in our families, heal the brokenness, Lord. Heal the brokenness through the power of your cross. For those of us who don't know you, Jesus, as Lord and Savior over all, I pray that they would yield to your calling. They would yield to the hound of heaven, the Holy Spirit, as he 
knocks on the door of their heart as he pursues them in love to invite them into this inclusive, diverse community. As we come, we the elements are set before you, Father. Jesus, we believe that you're spiritually here, you're spiritually present with us in the Lord's Supper. We take the body, that you took the body on the night that you were betrayed and you broke it and you said, this is my body broken for you. And you took the cup and you said, this is my blood that was shed for you. Father, we come now to your table and we take part in a unification ceremony. We take part in a sacrament that reminds us that we're different and yet we're united by the death and resurrection of Jesus. The body that was broken and the blood that was spilled. So would you communicate that to our spirits this morning for our good and your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.